Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. So yesterday, of course, Andy Ngo, a gay Asian journalist, was brutally attacked by Antifa in Portland and has since been admitted to the hospital. He has stayed overnight with a brain hemorrhage or a brain bleed, which is about as bad, of course, a prognosis as you can get. And, of course, everybody's talking about it. I was talking about it last night on Twitter. Everyone's talking about it today. And I'm going to give you just a little bit of a different take. So, look, first of all, Antifa are communists. And there's a basic test of sociopathy, which is called communism. The communism slaughtered 100 million innocent men, women, and children over the course of the 20th century. There were tens of millions of people brutalized, murdered, tortured, starved, experimented upon, and shoveled into mass graves. This doesn't even count the wars that were started by communism. This is just democide. This is just the slaughter of citizens by their own governments, of which, in the 20th century, people murdered by their own governments, 250 million people, a quarter of a billion people slaughtered by governments, not including war, not including war. So there's this basic test of sociopathy, which is someone's relationship to communism. Because if you can step over 100 million bodies because of your preferred political ideology, if you, ah, you know, we'll just sweep those under the rug, we'll brush their mother, you know, that wasn't real communism, dude. If you can just vault over on the pole vault of ideology, you can vault over a mass of bodies that, if floating in the sea, would constitute their own damn continent. Well, I think you can figure out where people stand psychologically as far as that goes. And how many historical facts, how many bodies have to be erased to the point where now people are shocked, shocked that communists are violent. Spoiler, communists are violent. Because we used to have this idea of how to organize things in society, which was to not point guns at each other. So it started off, of course, with milkshake throwing, right? You, you throw a milkshake and, oh, Burger King was making fun of it. It's just a milkshake, dude. Now the reports are coming out of Portland that Antifa mixed concrete into the milkshakes. Quick dry concrete. Now, quick dry concrete is, is dangerous, right? It's, it's acidic. It can give you chemical burns. So, of course, what they do, this is the strategy, right? They hit you with a milkshake, you're disoriented, you may be blinded, and then people come in and punch you, they melt away back into the crowd. It's, you know, urban guerrilla terrorist combat 101. They're violent. They always have been. They always will be. And people who were saying, oh, they're just, they're fascists. They, they think they're fighting fascists, but they're the... No, come on, be a little bit more precise. They're communists. They're communists. And that's what we have to identify them as. So in the past, you know, we had this idea, how are we going to organize society? And the answer used to be, for a brief window of time in the West, almost nowhere else throughout the world, the answer used to be, I don't know, let's stop pointing guns at each other. Let's stop attacking each other. Let's stop punching each other. Let's stop hanging each other. Let's stop beating each other up. And that's, we'll just, we'll just let the chips fall where they may. Do right though the skies fall. Tell the truth and shame the devil. Let's not use violence to organize 
how resources are used in society. Let's just let spontaneous trade and creation and whatever. Whatever happens, happens. But let's not use violence. In the same way that for approximately ever, slavery was how goods got produced, for the most part, in all human societies everywhere across the world. And slavery until the 17th century was not even remotely controversial as a system of economy, right? So what did you do? Well, you'd wade into someone else's territory. You would kill or capture the men. You would rape the women. And the men that you captured would be your slaves. And they would be the machinery, the, quote, automation that occurred in your society. Now, this, of course, did have the unfortunate byproduct of preventing the development of the Industrial Revolution and, in fact, the modern world until white Western European Christians said, I don't really think that slavery is such a good idea. We are made in God's image. God is not a slave. God did not give man dominion over man, but rather dominion over nature. So we used to have this way of organizing society where you had the kings, the clergy, the aristocrats, and basically the slaves. Now the slaves sometimes were bought and sold with the land serf style, but generally they were slaves. And then we said, hey, I wonder if we didn't do that. I wonder if we just set people free. I wonder if we stopped owning other human beings through force. And then, hey, I don't know how the cotton's going to be made, but it's wrong. And then we lost that. We lost that um, massively. The idea that we should just spontaneously trade with each other, negotiate with each other, not initiate the use of force against each other, use force only in self-defense. We lost that in the 20th century. We lost that in the First World War. We lost that with fiat currency. We lost that with massive government programs to stitch up the wounds left by the First World War. We lost that in the Great Depression. We lost that in the Second World War. We lost that in the fight against communism, which we lost. We lost. What did we go to the war in the Second World War was to fight against socialism. National Socialism in Germany, international socialism in Russia. Now, in order to defeat Germany, the West allied with Russia. Russia bore the brunt of the fight against the Nazis. And that team-up and the rupture of socialism in Germany caused a lot of socialists and communists to flee to the West, where they embedded themselves in the art world, in the academic world, in the media world, you name it. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of outright Marxists indoctrinating the young in American universities, tens of thousands throughout the West. But you see, the real danger is far-right extremism. I had, for me, a surprising reaction. And I'll just give you some of the highlights of my thoughts last night and tell you what I'm thinking today, which is the philosophical perspective that I think is the most important. So, first of all, you have communists who see, it's just a hall of mirrors, right? They, they live in a hall of mirrors. They see tyrants everywhere, when they, of course, themselves are the tyrants. They are not fighting fascists. They are creating fascists. So there seems to have been a stand-down order in the Portland Police Department, as has been the case when the left has attacked uh, me and, and, and my speeches and, and wherever I've traveled in the world, I've been dealing with this stuff for well over half a decade. I had to give a speech uh, once where they'd phoned in terrorist bomb threats. I had to give a speech hoping that the stage wouldn't explode 
under me or the roof come down on top. And this reality of this kind of violence, well, the police don't do anything. There haven't been any major mass arrests. There haven't been any infiltration. There hasn't been anything like that. CNN, the New York Times, they're not sitting there saying, wow, these young Antifa communists have been radicalized. We better find out who radicalized them. Because they just put a journalist in hospital. Of course, they're not doing that. Because they're terrible human beings. Well, the mainstream media is, is avoiding, defending, downplaying, blaming the victim. Blaming the victim, you see. He brought it on himself. He criticized the left. Yeah, try making that argument about a woman in a short skirt who gets raped. Blame the victim. Monstrous. And highly predictable. Because the mainstream media attack the reasonable and defend the violent. The mainstream media are a bunch of manipulative cowards. Like a woman who just starts a fight. She's got a problem with a guy, so she goes to another guy and says, Hey, that guy just grabbed me. That guy just said something mean to me. They go, I'm going to beat him up for you, lady. We're just out there starting fights. So they're creating fascists, right? Fascism was a response to the spread of communism. And in general, it was a spread of communism that was unimpeded and sometimes even encouraged by the local policing authorities. Because normally, if there are violent groups in your community or terrorist groups in your community, those who are using political violence to achieve political ends or using violence to achieve political ends, you call the cops and the cops go in and deal with it. But if the cops are on the side of the terrorists or at least not impeding them in any way, what do you do? Well, you either retreat to your home and wait for the inevitable gulags to swallow you up, or you go out and you fight in the streets. They're not fighting fascists. They're creating fascists. They're creating a violent opposition to the spread of their brutality. And, as has been the case in the past, let history record from this point forward, when the right eventually shows up, may not be that long now, to truly fight back, the left started it. The left initiated it. That's something that everybody needs to understand, everybody needs to know. Now, of course, this is scrubbed from history by the Marxist corruption of the foundation of our identity, culture, and history. It's been entirely corrupted. But here's the problem, the foundational issue. We love violence in our society. We love We worship violence. We praise violence in our society. Now, when somebody gets a fist to the head or gets acid in the face, we're shocked. We're appalled. We think it's terrible. But we love violence. About half of the population of the Western world is utterly dependent upon violence for most, if not all, of their daily bread. Because about half the population takes significant resources from other taxpayers through the state at the point of a gun. We love violence. Whenever we have a problem in society, most people just run to the government. Pass a law. What is a law? A law is violence. A law is comply or die. Because if you disobey a law, you will get letters, maybe you will get visits, you will, and then eventually the police will come to arrest you, and if you try to defend yourself, they will shoot you. 
The law is a gun. The law is violence. Now, if the law is minimum and focuses on supporting people in their self-defense and opposing violations of the non-aggression principle, well, then the law diminishes violence. But we don't have that law anymore in the West, and we haven't had it for over 100 years. The government is legally allowed to counterfeit. The government is legally allowed to start wars without any permission of the population. In many places, the government is perfectly legally allowed to draft people, which is in many ways worse than enslaving them, because at least the slave owner had an incentive to keep you alive. The government can force people to go to government schools. The government can arrest you for wrong thing and throw you in prison where you will be brutalized and possibly raped. Opposition to political violence. What do we have these days except political violence? You're concerned about global warming. Do you make a case for people to reduce their consumption? Do you say, whoa, 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 whoa. We got a big problem. Overconsumption of resources. CO2 emissions are through the roof. So the first thing we've got to do is minimize consumption. So I'm going to talk to people in the first world about minimizing their consumption. And we're going to make sure as hell that we don't bring a lot of people from low-carbon footprint third world environments into the first world and then subsidize them using massive government debt to hugely expand their consumption. Somebody in the first world versus the third world is consuming 10, 20, 30 times more resources. So you'd have to stop immigration if you cared about We don't care about any of that. We don't. You're concerned about the environment. You don't sit there and say, wow, you know, I'm going to go get myself a degree in, in, in physics, in engineering. I'm going to become an entrepreneur and I'm going to find a way to reduce carbon emissions because I'm going to take it on myself. As a moral crusade, we don't say anything like that. Concerned about the environment? Pass a law. Tax the living hell out of people. And if they don't pay their taxes, show up with guns, throw them in jail, where they're going to be most likely, in one form or another, tortured, abused, and raped. That's what we do. Wow, educating children is a very complicated thing in society. It's the transmission of culture. It's the basis of our civilization. It's the continuity or the continuation of the sacrifices of our ancestors. Now, it used to be the case, of course, that people said, well, I guess parents should be free to choose the education of their children. They should be free to fund whatever is the most valuable, whatever they prefer, and we'll just let the free market compete about the best way to educate children. Then about 150 years ago, which is really the foundation of all of our modern problems, people in the West said, nope, none of that anymore. Forget that. You know how children are going to be educated? We're going to put guns against the heads of people in the community, and if they don't pay their taxes, we're going to throw them in jail. We're going to use their taxes to fund education. We don't like violence. We're shocked at violence. We're shocked at political violence. What do we do except commit political violence? It's all we do. Old age pensions. Wow, you know, there's some people didn't save for their old age. There's some people alienated their kids by being terrible parents. So they don't have as much money as they want in their old age. Okay, well, we could either have charity, we could have the complicated aspect of how to help people without enabling bad decisions. We could let freedom and voluntarism take care of this. Or, funny thought, here we go, society that just hates political violence, I've got a much better idea. What we'll do, you see, is we'll tax the unborn 
and use it to buy off the gray vote in the here and now. We'll just, you know, there's grave robbers. This is happening in Venezuela these days. They're just robbing graves to try and find any resources they can to buy food. And then there's womb robbers. The pirates who pillage the wombs. The glimmers in the daddy's eye. We don't even let people live before we steal from them. We steal from them before they are even an idea. Or a fertilized egg in a tube. So we'll steal from the young. We'll steal from the unborn. We'll steal from the children. We'll steal from the youths. And we will fire all that money straight up the hillside to the very richest generation in the history of the world, the boomers. And if you don't want to pay the taxes that support the boomers, you see. Men with guns will show up at your house and throw you in jail. But a journalist got hit, which is bad. Don't get me wrong, it's bad. But who the hell are we to start talking about how terrible political violence is? All the problems. Oh, see, there's a complex problem wherein sometimes, you see, medicines that are being developed can be risky to take. And sometimes they have unexpected side effects, and sometimes this, and it's complicated. It's complicated, right? Sometimes people are facing death's door or facing a certain terminal illness, and they're willing to experiment, they're willing to take the risk, and they're willing to sign documents saying, I'm willing to take the risk. How do we handle all of that? Do we allow free markets and contracts and, no. We say to pharmaceutical companies, you're going to have to spend billions and billions of dollars developing a drug. You're going to have to pass all of these hoops. And five million people are going to die as a result of delayed medicine in America alone, just over the past few decades. And if somebody tries to release a drug without going through that process, gun to the head, go to jail. Doesn't seem like we have any problems in society that we're not willing to point a gun at and shoot till it gets better. The hell are we complaining about Antifa for? There's a lot to complain about. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot to complain about. But we got to understand that our addiction to violence as a society is breeding just this kind of opening. Who are we to say, stand on our high pyramid of moral perfection and say down to the young, how dare you use violence to achieve your political ends? You see the Democrat debate, Democratic debate of contenders? for nominations to the presidency. The moderator, scarcely a moderate, an extremist, the moderator asked the people on the stage, raise your hand if you want to provide free health care to illegal aliens. No, there's no such thing as free. No such thing as free. Every one of them raised their hand. So how are they going to get the money to pay for the resources, to pay for the doctors, the health care, the pointing guns at people and pillaging the wombs, the womb pirates hard at work? Because fetuses don't vote, you see. And you can have sanctuary cities for illegal aliens, but you can't have sanctuary states for the fetus.
So hands up if you're willing to point guns at people to provide health care to criminals. The problem is manifested in Antifa assaulting Andy Ngo. But it's the tip of the iceberg. We have violated the most foundational moral principles in the very foundations of our society. How should we help the poor? It's a complicated question. Some poor are deserving of help and sympathy and support. Some poor, if you give them support, they will take advantage of it, they will lie, manipulate, cheat, and you are making their situation worse. Slicing and dicing our capacities to be manipulated, to have our sympathies played upon, is a very, very complicated business. How do we help the poor? Sometimes we help them by giving them money. Sometimes we help them by giving them love. Sometimes we help them by listening to them. Sometimes we help them by babysitting for them. Sometimes we help them by telling them the truth about their terrible decisions and tough love is the answer. I saw a video the other day. One basketball player was talking about another basketball player. They were walking down the street. He was about to give, the one basketball player was about to give his money to a guy who said, hey, can you spare any change? And the other guy said, don't give him a penny. If he can say, can you spare any change? He can also say, would you like some fries with that at McDonald's? Get a job. It's complicated. Sometimes people are crazy and can't be productive. Sometimes people have genuine injuries and for some reason they didn't take out insurance about it. They need to be helped. I get that. I have genuine sympathy for that. But it's complicated. Because if you just start firing money at a problem, you draw people into that problem. Ooh, unfortunate single mother. Wow, okay, let's give you lots of money. While you're just paying people to become single mothers. It's called public choice theory, and anybody who doesn't understand it is not even worthy of stepping into the arena of public discourse. Unintended consequences. Not just the visible benefits, but the hidden costs of everything we do when we point guns at people. Ooh, the government is spending a lot of money to create jobs. Look, they just created 500 jobs. What about the 5,000 jobs that weren't created because the government took money from productive people and fired it into vote buyers and public sector unions? Well, you don't see those. You see the 500 jobs, you don't see the 5,000 jobs that weren't there. Aren't there? And the people who get one of the 500 jobs are like, woohoo, I love it, I got money. But the people who are unemployed, they don't even know they could have had a job otherwise. This is why we have to base things on principle not on consequences. Principle. And we have violated. Violated repeatedly as the foundation of our modern society, the most foundational moral principles of any rational system of ethics or theological system of ethics. I grew up in the church. I was in the church choir. I went to church many times a week. Sometimes. And two of those commandments really stuck with me and are the foundation of what I do now. Number one, thou shalt not steal. As a poor kid, I was tempted by shoplifting and I turned against it. I went out, got three jobs, started earning my living as an honorable man rather than a thief and a parasite. Thou shalt not steal. 
It's one thing to steal from an adult who can at least defend himself, who can at least call the cops, who can at least have a security system, can be armed. It's one thing to steal from an adult. It's another thing to steal from a child, as we do through government debt, through selling of bonds, unfunded liabilities, which is all reliant upon the future productivity of the young, of the children. So we're not just stealing from adults, which is terrible enough. We're stealing from children. And we're stealing from those yet to even be imagined. The desecration of graves is worldwide considered a heinous thing. The desecration and pillaging of the unborn. Well, of course, we can't see them as human fetuses. Why we kill them by the millions? We have become a terrible society. And we all know what the wages of sin are. Thou shalt not steal, number one. And we violate that all the time. Taxation is theft. Taxation is theft. Taxation is theft. Number two, thou shalt not bear false witness. You see an evil, you speak it. The beginning of wisdom is to call things by their proper names. So if you don't like, as I'm sure you don't, the sight of Andy Ngo being milkshaked, possibly having this quick dry cement in the milkshake, being punched, having his eyes bruised, spending his night praying his brain is not damaged through brain hemorrhaging. That's the scene. That's what we rely on. You understand? Every time you run to the government to ask for something, you're asking it to use violence on your behalf. You're saying you have such contempt and hatred for your fellow citizens that you can't possibly negotiate with them. And therefore, you must have guns pointed at them to get them to comply or die with your whims. That's what we live on. Literally, what half of us live on is the bloody fruits of violence. I wanted the world to become philosophical. I wanted the world to love philosophy. I want the world to love philosophy. So what did I do? I started preaching. Three chords of the truth. One camera and the truth. Voluntarily. I don't force the government to pay people to pay for what I do. I do it voluntarily. I do it peacefully. And that's why it works. That's why all the government-protected and funded university professors teaching philosophy in the world don't really approach the reach and spread that I have with well over half a billion views and downloads. Because voluntarism works, peace works, negotiation works. Violence is like a drug. It will give you a temporary high and then crater your entire society. Now, we're either going to start having this discussion about our addiction to political violence as a whole, 
Or are we going to pretend that somehow you see how we get things done in society using the coercive, violent, predatory power of the state is somehow completely different from what happens on the streets in Portland? It's totally different. We can we can have that fantasy. We can have that fantasy, but it is a dangerously delusional fantasy, and it will be our undoing. Because if things progress this way, if we don't start having honest conversations about our addiction to political violence as a whole. Want to help people overseas? Oh, let's point guns at people, take their money, and ship it to dictators in Africa. It's going to be great. Let's point guns at farmers, take their crops, or pay them, point guns at people to pay the farmers to take their crops, then dump all the crops in the third world, and then wonder why they don't have much agriculture left. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's all we do. is run to the gun, run to the gun, run to the gun, run to the gun. Because if this continues, individualism will fail. Individuals cannot survive in a climate of violence. Like you go to prison, you've got to find your, your gang, your group. Individualism cannot survive. Individuals can't survive in an atmosphere of violence. So you're going to have to pick your gang, you're going to have to pick your tribe and stick with it. And your independent thought will be dissolved into collective self-defense. Because this spread of violence, at first in politics and economics and then in the streets. It only goes one way. The police, of course, have to step up and stop this. The FBI have to step up and stop this. Whether they will or not, well, hopefully they'll bow to public pressure. We can get this thing done peacefully. Because the way it has worked in history, when the law is not enforced, is always one way. And I'll leave you with this. Communism, the feral left, from the French Revolution onwards, have only one pattern. Either they end up in prison, or you end up in their gulags.